Oh my God, hold on. My dog is about to roll in chicken <laughs> shit. Frodo. <laughs> oh, good. When I tell you, oh my God, he's covered in it. Oh no. Oh no. no. He's like at the door. He's like, how proud of you. Look at me. Really yeah. Really yeah. No, he's yeah. like, look. And oh, you just got God. him clean yesterday. Literally. Rumors. <laughs> When I calculate my annual budget for my own grooming and my dog's grooming, I spend easy three times as much yes. on his haircuts than I do my haircuts. Um, oh, no. Yeah, I... Oh, oh <laughs> my standing desk is on its own. This is already... This is off to a good start. This is going to be fun. <laughs> also, there is a screaming chicken in the background. So, it, that's great. I don't hear it, so I think you're good. She's like standing. She's like standing on the little perch, and it's like comical. Just head back, screaming. It's a fun day over here. I'm sure the neighbors love it. (laughs) Thankfully, she's not a rooster, so it's not like illegal. She's just like it's below the sound decibel level. (laughs) Yeah, she's super bossy. Um, How's your Thursday? How are you doing? It's great. I'm in Colorado. Oh my gosh. These are sun blocking curtains. Otherwise I would be an angel. So I went for a hike this morning. Saw the sunrise. Oh, what? That is and so nice. We'll probably do one. Yeah. After work. It's a little bit weird. I'm still working central hours since all my meetings are like sort of scheduled on that. And so this morning when we woke up to go on a hike, it was like 5 a.m. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I guess technically it's six at home. So this feels kind of normal, but looking at the time. It's painful. Yeah. <laughs> it's painful. I get up twice a week to go do a workout. And every time when the alarm goes off at like 445, mm-hmm. that's a line that I think I shouldn't cross. No. You know, nobody needs to be up before 5 a.m. I really don't think so. <laughs> but I also am such a morning person. Like I love, I don't know, I'm most productive before work. Because after work, all I want to do is cook dinner and go to bed immediately. I feel like I'm the opposite. I'm a better night person. I like know if, this about if, you. <laughs> if you see this my sock <laughs> icon is green, it's me at like 11 p.m. This is why you're the perfect person to talk to about our This Week in Tech History historic event. Obviously, it's because you're a night owl, which means that it's you true. are an ideal person to love live music and music in general. This is where we differ. I love live music, (laughs) but I like it as like a, an idea. (laughs) (laughs) If it could end by 8 PM, that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah. Who said, um, God, it was like in an Oscars, like red carpet interview. And they were like, why, why aren't there matinee shows? Like, I want to see, I want to see a concert at 2 PM. Fun fact for you. Sometimes Mm. there will be, like kind of daytime shows at the OG basement where they Ooh. start at like 5 p.m. That is what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I can do. I've been to a few and let me tell you, they're still good. But you get home at a normal time, can make oh. dinner and go to bed. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. My favorite way to spend a Friday is to like immediately after our happy hour, run out of here, go to a restaurant like Zao Bao is where we've been going. Mm-hmm. Be like the first one seated. Have a like 
stupid early dinner and we are home in bed at like 7.30 or 8. It is. Sounds great. So nice. <laughs> so this is who I am. Um, thankfully, we have we have two different perspectives here. Victoria, <laughs> here's what's happening. This week in tech history, Metallica sued Napster. What the hell do you think you're doing, man? Holy crap! Do you know who you are? You're freaking lawn dogs from Metallica! I love everything you do! Except for that bad show you hosted. You know what? Maybe I wouldn't have to hold myself out if you kids didn't steal my music. Uh. On April 13th of 2000, Metallica filed a lawsuit against the file sharing company Napster. We all know Napster. Metallica alleged that Napster was guilty of copyright infringement and racketeering. That seems dramatic. As defined by the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. Metallica v. Napster Incorporated was the first highly publicized instance of an artist suing a P2P. Never heard of that person to person. (laughs) software company and encouraged several other high-profile artists to sue Napster. It began as a way for a 19-year-old kid, I did not know this, named Sean (laughs) Fanning, to share MP3s with his group of friends. Imagine, like, accidentally creating a multi-million dollar company at 19. In an effort to increase the amount of music they had access to, they allowed other people to join and share files. Napster functioned as the hub, while the files themselves were downloaded from the user who owned the original. It went live in September of 1999, and by February of 2001, it had 80 million monthly users. Oh my God. At its peak, (laughs) it facilitated 2 billion downloads a month and had a net worth of 60 to $80 million, which would be 100 to $135 million today. Earlier this year, while completing work on a song for the movie Mission Impossible 2, we were startled to hear reports that five or six versions of our work in progress were already being played on some U.S. radio stations. We traced the source of this leak to a corporation called Napster. Money good! Napster bad! Hey, are you the guys protesting free internet music downloading? Hey, it's that Lars Ulrich guy! That's right! Metallica is behind you dudes a thousand percent! We're going to sit here and protest with you until free downloading stops. The end result of Metallica's original court case was nothing short of catastrophic for Napster. Yikes. The judge ruled in their favor, their meaning Metallica's favor, and gave Napster 72 hours to remove all Metallica songs from their platform, as well as banning over 300,000 people who had shared the band's songs. Imagine having 72 hours, like going back to your team and being like, Hey guys, something <laughs> happened in court today. Like y'all are on for 72 hours because you got to fix this. That's insane. I also want to know what that team looked like. Yeah. Like the growth is so quick where it's like, was it still just Sean and like a couple of friends or did they like? Yeah, it's just the homies. Yeah. Eating, pulling, peeling Twizzlers and, and <laughs> pirating music. This is swiftly followed by other artists suing Napster. I do remember this part, most notably Dr. Dre and the banning of another 234,000 users. Mm-hmm. A buyout of the company was blocked for unrelated reasons, and the company filed Chapter 7, shuttering the doors in 2002. Where is Sean Fanning now? This is all I need to know. Where Sean Fanning is, I don't know. Fun fact I learned last week, Napster still exists, a different iteration. Really? I wonder if Sean is is behind (laughs) that. It still exists um, as like a streaming platform. No way. Yeah. Learned it last week. Jeff Latz, who's a developer on our platform, occasionally releases music. 
Um, and he was saying that as part of like where he distributes his mu- music from, I guess someone had notified him that they can't find it on Napster. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Victoria, did you also have a household computer only for Napster or LimeWire? Okay. So I was terrible. This was like around the time, I guess, when I was aware of the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, people got in like legitimate trouble for mm-hmm. downloading from Napster. So I was terrified to use Napster or LimeWire. <laughs> terrified. Uh, because I was like, they're going to know. They're going to come to my house and they're going to yeah. get me. Like, who else is trying to download like Rascal Flats? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're going to know it's me. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. We had, I had like a laptop specifically for, I mean, it was just like the slowest laptop of all time, had a million viruses on it. It was awful. But my preferred way of uh, pirating music was just like making a mixed CD and then giving CDs to my friends, making a bunch of copies. They would make me CDs and that's how you did it. But you had to like, do you remember when you pulled songs off of a cd and you had rip to and like burn rip and burn and you had to <laughs> you had to write out the information oh yeah so the stuff that is i have some of my mixtapes like in my car now and you can like it'll like pull through the the data that's on the cd and the things that i called these songs are not the names of the songs but it was just <laughs> It was what I could do with my resources, you know, dial up internet. (laughs) That's going to be where you and I differ. I was definitely like deep in the iTunes library for anyone that's ever had to do this, especially if you did rip albums or you did have CDs that you got from other people and like imported those. The hunt for the album artwork and changing all of the names to be like accurate, grouping them all together by album was a very early hobby of mine. It was a full-time job. Yeah. It was a full-time job. And so I would say for the information that pops up on my mix CDs in my car, because obviously I still have them, are great. Flawless. Titles, artists. So, I'm unsurprised <laughs> by this. Again, once again, we're very different people. Okay. <laughs> Victoria, that gets us right into the conversation today, which is like, love it or hate it, if it... Uh, agrees with your moral tastes or not (laughs) Napster truly was like the first case we had at like some sort of streaming Mm -hmm. cheap and or free access to music yeah other than the radio right like on demand I mean in my eyes I kind of see it as like laying the foundation of how we consume music today what do you think definitely influenced it a ton 1999, early 2000s, especially with the launch of Napster, LimeWire, you saw more of like MP3 or more of just the addition of MP3 as just file sharing generally was a huge game changer in the music industry. You see in the early 2000s, because of the introduction of Napster and MP3 formats that record sales generally, you see a decline just in the music Mm -hmm. revenue um, for most larger establishments which is wild but mp3 sharing 
just changed how people consume music generally. Right. It was no longer necessarily radio reliant. You definitely still found songs for the radio and you're like, okay, cool. This artist is awesome. But it was no longer like artist centric. It could very much be dedicated to a song I like. I don't have to buy the whole album or check out everything by an artist to like appreciate it. So even in the early 2000s, that's like just a big, big shift. And you see a lot of different branches of how that has affected the music industry in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read a book and I'll have to remember the title of it. Um, but it basically broke down like 20 of the number one singles on the Billboard chart over like the last 50 years or something. And one of them was around um, Soldier Boy. Uh, (laughs) but what's wild is sort of like how it wasn't necessarily Napster, but Napster influenced it with the creation of LimeWire and how within LimeWire and illegally downloading, you could name tracks, whatever you wanted. And so what's that soldier boy song? Crank that. Crank that. (laughs) Immediate. Um, (laughs) crank that soldier boy. Um, he would take names of like popular songs from when he was uploading that. So people would accidentally download it. And that's how so it became smart. such like a huge. Oh my thing. God. I did not know this. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting to think about where like Napster was really the start of just different ways that have affected the music industry as a whole, not only in how we consume it, how we find it, but like the way that it has launched other artists in weird ways Mm -hmm. the viral nature of downloading something random yeah radio used to be king right when it came to like trend setting and who you know promoting things for people to purchase but the experience of like obtaining music to listen to on demand like i have vivid memories through like middle school of going to the cd store and flipping through all the different CDs, going into a booth or just like putting on the headphones and scanning the CD and listening mm-hmm. oh, to yeah. it. And like MP3 was, it was like a huge deal, right? I think what was nice about it, especially in those early 2000s with MP3 was if there was a CD for those of us that still consumed in that way, you were able to burn and rip it and still share it. Um, mm. It wasn't necessarily going out and seeking it and downloading it, you were still able to share in that way. I think music has always been shareable. Um, even before sort of the MP3 format, you had um, mixtapes that you could create for people or, you know, sort of come up with playlists in that way. So it's always been shareable, but the sort of online format made it way easier to share and focused more on sort of the singularity, the singles of an artist. And I think you see that more now. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, this is when when people ask me like, hey, what do you think the best marketing campaign of all time was? For me, it was, I don't know if you remember this, Gap and Apple ha- did a partnership where it was like early days of the iPod, early days of iTunes. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge barrier to entry because everyone was like, I don't want to put my payment details on the internet. Like it's still, we were still in that phase where like we were calling catalogs to order things to our house and Apple partnered with the Gap and they're like, all right, if you try on a pair of Gap jeans, 
you get a free song from iTunes. And so that was your card and you could redeem it on iTunes. And the song, the song was also really good. Like Apple's just really great at like choosing songs that feel nostalgic, but they're new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I just like need to know what that first song was, but it was like such a huge deal, right? Like being able to access this huge library of MP- MP3 files that was legal, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to yeah. like give your computer viruses and, you know, you got a song for free. Um, and obviously after that, I spent literally every single paycheck I got in high school on iTunes. Oh. <laughs> iTunes gift cards, like were the best birthday gift. The best. Yes. Yeah. I'm finally at the age now where I find myself saying the phrase kids these days almost (laughs) once a day and it's really embarrassing, but kids these days will never understand. Like we had to invest in our music. Oh yeah. You know? And it really came down to, maybe not came down to, maybe that's only for me, but like, (laughs) like, am I going to spend, you know, my $15 iTunes card on multiple singles that, or an album or an album and it's like even consuming music now there's definitely artists that i still adore die hard will get the vinyl mm-hmm. i would say i definitely shied away more from cds but it's like the vinyl i'll definitely pick up or i'll listen to all the way through on a platform like spotify mm-hmm. it's right. just the way that we consume it is so different yeah, um, and we'll get into like Okay, what does this mean for artists yeah. and the money they <laughs> yeah. make? But I'm curious about your take because you are so steeped in the music world. Do you think the backlash against Napster was warranted? From like Metallica's point of view? Right. Like looking at it from a perspective of then with sort of the newness of streaming and file sharing. I think that the backlash against Napster from an artist perspective almost still exists today where you do have a harder time making money. But at the same time, the industry itself has changed so much to where there are options now, or at least maybe a willingness on the side of an artist Mm -hmm. to release music for free or to be consumed for free as a free download or however they want to share it. But at the early, late 90s, early 2000s, that wasn't necessarily a way to get your music out there. I think that was still reliant on sort of mixtapes, mix CDs, being outside of shows and still, you know, hey, we're like this band, check us out. Um, Versus um, being able to sort of release anything into the ether and see where it sticks. So I think the backlash against Napster on the side of Metallica was more because of the newness and any artist probably that would have, did take the same course of action or would have taken the same course of action. It's hard to have the foresight of what MP3 file sharing would mean Mm -hmm. for the rest of the industry as a whole. And I think that suing them for rights and monetary value of their own music did get a lot of backlash as well, just from music listeners, as far as like, well, you already have the money from making music. You tour consistently, um, you know, what's the big deal if I'm downloading this for free? But at the same time, you see that struggle now for a lot of artists to where they're not making as much money or being able to make money, at least from like album sales or from streaming. It's a little bit more difficult. And so I think, I think it's more around time has definitely shifted what that backlash looks like and what that perception looks like. 
it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, it feels like the, I mean, I wouldn't say that the structure is ideal today yet, but it's certainly better than it was at the beginning of this notion of streaming. Mm -hmm. So like for the time, for sure, the backlash was warranted, right? Because it was like night and day in terms of sales. But today, I mean, we hear all the time streaming platforms exploit artists. So yeah. the math that Abby shared was the average rate for a song on Spotify, on Spotify is four thousandths of a cent for every stream, which mm-hmm. is $4,000 for a million plays, uh, which is wild. So, you know, some artists avoid streaming platforms altogether. You mentioned like the value of the stream today is kind of like the value of a, a radio play. Mm-hmm. In that it's like a marketing channel for you. And you use it to disseminate your music, to build your fan base. And now artists have to monetize in a different way. So, yeah, I'm curious about just your thoughts on, on that, like monetization streams for artists and, and how that's changed. Um, for any artist established or not, it's you don't see that same income stream that you saw in the decade before. Mm-hmm. Um, Napster, just because there isn't a focus necessarily on overall album sales for most artists. I mean, I think you have your major ones that break for your lip from that a little bit, but at the same time, making money in music wasn't necessarily easy before, mm-hmm. especially for newer artists. And so I think it almost becomes harder now for artists to get discovered. Interesting. I think from a consumer side, we have the ability to find new music relatively easily. I mean, we can search, there's algorithms at play um, that make it easier for us to consume. But at the mm-hmm. same time, there's also so many artists out there that it almost gets lost in a void, no matter where you have your music accessible to. And so I think that there's still some, some adopting to some of the newer sort of platforms away from those traditional models of radio airplay Sorry, my thoughts were a little bit disjointed, (laughs) but I think that there's still a lot of sort of marketing technique and campaign around some of those traditional formats Mm -hmm. um, that exist, but aren't necessarily beneficial for like new artists. There's not going to be as much of an emphasis on, oh, we're releasing an album. Now it's more around consistent releases or at least having a hyped up release that can... um, sort of exist over a longer period of time where you're working on new music or new um, new ways of engagement mm-hmm. is really big, I think is what you see right now. It's not only music focused, which I think a lot of artists do have a hard time with yeah. or um, voice a lot of concern over. It's no longer, oh, my music is good and I'm putting it out there. It's my music is good. I'm putting it out there. But to be found, I have to jump through all of these additional hoops because be of the way TikTok. that people consume. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really a thing where it's it's more strategy based, I think, on a individual artist level, especially if you aren't signed mm-hmm. um, to a major label um, to where you have to focus more on building that dedicated fan base. Um, and it's mostly content driven. So you're looking at places like TikTok. Um, where an artist can blow up overnight depending on what the algorithm does, right. um, which is really wild. But it's really interesting to understand how people consume music um, and knowing that there's a lot of work behind the scenes that get put into it for an artist to make even a penny from it. 
Right. Yeah. So, even a penny. <laughs> and even a penny from it. And, they, and it's, it's really sort of unfortunate in some ways, but I think it's also always been the case. We're just highlighting it a little bit more because the music is so accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, to where if someone is listening to music, you know, I should receive a bigger share of what that monetization looks like. Well, very different than <laughs> the world that we came of age in and very different than, you know, any other era of music consumption. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Shout out to Sean Fanning. Again, <laughs> love it or hate it. Love it or hate it. Napster was Napster really did change the course of how we consume and discover music. Um, and I'm very grateful for my Spotify account. It keeps me going. I do think that's where we'll see more just continued change in just digesting music as a whole. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of not sort of like controversy, but a little bit in terms of like using AI for music and what that looks mm. like for copyright, um, especially with song sampling and how that affects royalties. And I think you see that more from the record label side, obviously, I think from an artist's perspective, um, there's some creative liberties i guess that can be taken um but it's just you see more of um the ai side start to play into what gets suggested to us or um or how music is being made which is really interesting right Um, the lesson is there is no normal don't get too comfortable (laughs) because it's always just about to change yes victoria this is so much fun i I'm going to hang up on this call and try to revive my external hard drive from college and figure out what my first iTunes song was. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.